Hey, welcome to another episode of Saw Something Scary. Derek Zoo here alongside me as always, Jeff Wright. And uh, this week we're reviewing my favorite scary movie, my favorite horror movie of all time, The Strangers. Jeff Wright, how you doing tonight, my man? I'm doing well. You know, as much crap as you've given me over some of the, the movies we've watched that are near and dear to my heart, I really wanted to find a place to, like, criticize this film, yeah. uh, shut it down, poke holes in it. But this is a darn good movie. I, I thought so. I get why you love it. Thank you so much. I'm glad. Uh, just want to jump right in? Yeah, man. All right, we'll hit it. Everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. All right, dude, I've got just three trailers for you today. All right, first and foremost, let me pre-qualify it by this. Are you a Woody Allen fan? No. Okay, well, I'm still going to do it because we're already on, so okay. might as well do it. Uh, there's a, I think it's I think it's coming to Amazon, a uh, movie by Woody Allen, written, by, written and directed by Woody Allen, starring Kate Winslet, Juno Temple, Debbie Mazar, Jim Belushi, and the one and the only Justin Timberlake. Out, 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 out. You don't like Justin Timberlake? Yeah, he's okay. Not enough to climb over that whole pile of steaming garbage. You just don't like Woody Allen? I don't, man. I, yeah. On multiple levels. Like, I don't really care for his films. Yeah. Again, I'm a rube, uh, and I don't care for him as a person. Well, I mean, that's completely understandable. Yeah. Uh, the name of the movie is called Wonder Will, uh, for anybody that does want to want to check it out and I will give you the synopsis on it. On Coney Island in the mid-1950s, a lifeguard tells the story of a middle-aged carousel operator and his beleaguered wife. And I'll be honest with you, I saw the trailer. I'm not watching it. That sounds like the most Woody Allen thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I Hopefully, I've said this before, hopefully I will leave this mortal coil without ever having laid an eye on a single scene in that movie. So I saw Wonder Will and I saw that Justin Timberlake was in it and I thought, oh, maybe it's a musical. Maybe Woody's going out of his wheelhouse. No, he's not and and that's not trying to typecast Justin Timberlake, right? No, he's just super talented. Yeah, uh, so yeah, watch the trailer for those of you listening and maybe have any kind of inkling of interest in it. It didn't tickle my fancy at all. Didn't just tickle. know I'll be sitting here hating the trailer. There you go. Uh, let's see. Moving on to the killing of a sacred deer. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz around that movie, man. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't talked about it sooner. I've uh, seen it on several. Like, what's the one horror movie you're most looking forward to before the calendar year's over? Or really? Like that? Yeah. Was that was it on our? I feel like maybe that was on our list when we went through that a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think we read it off. Yeah, and I think at that time I hadn't know I didn't know much about it. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I'm, I guarantee you we did because I remember Colin Farrell's name came up. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, for those of you that may not have heard that or need a refresher course on it, the synopsis of The Killing of a Sacred Deer is Stephen, a charismatic surgeon who is played by Colin Farrell, is forced to make an unthinkable sacrifice after his life starts to fall apart when the behavior of a teenage boy he has taken under his wing turns sinister. Again, Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, uh, Alicia Silverstone, Barry Coegan, Bill Camp, uh, I mean, just a plethora of people. And this is written and directed by the gentleman who did the lot. Lobster, uh, which you and I were talking about beforehand. Neither one of us have seen it, but it was on my radar. I don't know. If, was it ever on your radar at all? So anyway, what do you think, man? Interested? Going to watch it? Yeah. I, so this is a trailer I did watch because the, the title and the premise sounded so odd to me. I'm I'm going to watch that movie in some form. I don't know if that's a big screen wide release movie. I'm not sure what their plans are for it. I don't know that I'd show up at the movie theater to watch it unless, of course, it falls into the movie pass caveat. Um, but yeah, I'll watch that movie. Okay. Uh, I'll red box that movie. But I don't think that I'll go to the theater and watch it again unless the aforementioned Redbox comes out for that. Uh, movie pass. Yeah, sorry. The last one I wanted to talk to you about, and uh, we'll just go ahead and be full disclosure on this. You and I sat and watched the trailer for this as well. The Babysitter hmm. uh, by Mick G. And the events of one evening take an unexpected turn for the worst for a young boy trying to spy on his babysitter. Uh, here's another longer synopsis for it, more detailed. Cole is madly in love with his babysitter. She's hot, funny, and popular. One night, in a moment of defiance, Cole secretly stays up uh, past his bedtime to discover she's actually a cold-blooded killer who's in league with the devil. He must now band, or excuse me, he must now spend his night evading B's band of killers who will stop at nothing to prevent Cole from spilling their dark secret. It's up to Cole to survive the night. This is going to briefly turn into Jeff Loves Trailers uh-huh. because this trailer saved me from ever watching this movie. <laughs> I may watch Wonder Wheel before I watch 
the babysitter. And I realize most you know horror fans love this kind of stuff, this horror comedy just, hybrid mess. No, thank you, trailer, for saving me from that uh, garbage. Dude, after all the hot garbage you watch in the horror genre, you're not going to give that a chance? I would watch Event Horizon in reverse before I watch that movie. It'd probably make more sense in reverse than it would any other way. Hey, look, pal, I'm trying to be charitable and happy about this movie you watch. Don't don't pick the fight. <laughs> You can't bring up a Vent Horizon. I expect me to turn the turn the knife just a little bit, though, man. Okay, Tusk. <laughs> That's so true. That's a horrible movie. Uh, so, so no go on that. Absolutely, positively, without qualification, no. Does Mick G have anything to do with that? Nothing positive. <laughs> Uh, I I can't stand Mick G. He he he's just not. I, I just don't think he's that good of a director. I feel like he's been involved with Supernatural, and I really love Supernatural. But screw every bit of ever watching The Babysitter. Yeah, he was a producer and a director on Supernatural. Okay, well his Supernatural stuff was fine. Okay, and this movie looks awful. Yeah. Well, he did. Uh, you know, he started as a like a music video producer or a director. Okay. Like for Sugar Ray and stuff. That's the first oh thing. I, uh, that's the first thing I remember him with. What an auspicious beginning. Yeah. Says the guy recording a podcast in a basement. But yeah, that's not exactly the. Uh, that's not the stuff of legend in terms of beginning. I'm sorry. Maybe he didn't do. Okay. Maybe he hasn't directed Supernatural. He's a producer on Supernatural. Okay. Uh, but what soured Mick G for me was uh, the Terminator Salvation movie. Oh yeah. Was he involved? In that? Yeah, he was the director on that, and that kind of ruined the franchise. We can bit. start calling the opposite of the Midas touch the McG touch. And that can be our new thing. I like it. Until we can honor him. All right. So no no go on The Babysitter. No go on Wagon Wheel. I mean, no, I love Wagon Wheel, the old Crow Medicine Show song. I love some Wagon Wheel. Don't don't associate uh, Woody Allen's garbage with that wonderful art that is produced by the old Crow Medicine Show. All right. Uh, so this has been an auspicious, uh, <laughs> an auspicious episode of Jeff H. Trailers. So let's hit it with this week's Man, there's just not a lot going on. Yeah. So I've got two pieces. One you actually turned me on to. I thought it would be worth commenting on. Absolutely. The uh, first one, in a positive bit of news, is that Netflix released a surprising entry into the 8-bit mobile gaming world for their Stranger Things Season 2 coming up. And you have played said game, right? I did. I played a little bit of it this morning. So total 8-bit goodness? or what? what yeah, you man. It was, uh, you know, it was those old, old 1980s Nintendo games. A lot of fun. Harder than... The games that you play now, but yeah, a lot of fun and, and good stuff. I highly recommend it to anyone who is uh, who's a fan of 8-bit games or, or Stranger Things. Okay, and so you're playing Hopper, right? You play as Hopper, but then you also you find other characters and you're able to play as them as well. So right now, uh, I just finished the first episode of it and I played as Hopper and Lucas and Hopper was on his way into the Upside Down to try to find uh, the girl. What was her name? Sally? Yeah. Yeah. Susie? Wendy? Something like that. Now, you played this on iOS? Yes, sir. This is like browser-based. You have to go download the yeah, game. Yeah, you right? download the game onto your phone. Uh, it's available in iTunes and Google Play. And go from there. Okay, cool. Uh, less positively, uh, a movie that we considered watching for this podcast uh, this is kind of old news, but we never got around to talking about it, really. Flatliners has flatlined at the box office. Yeah, we mentioned it a little bit last week, but we didn't really go into it. Uh, but yeah, holy smokes, man. So I'm just going off the Entertainment Weekly summary of this. Zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics have called it lifeless, dumb, witless. Two million dollars on opening day, according to Forbes. Man. I mean, uh, what's what's Ellen Page? Mm-hmm. Ellen Page, honey, this is going to be a hard one to shake off. Yeah. But you wish Juno 2 was coming out pretty soon. <laughs> I'm pregnant again? <laughs> you think we'd learn by now? It's been 12 years. Somebody must have pulled Inception on me. 
It's been in the water. Yeah. yeah so, uh, sorry, Flatliners, but Hollywood, learn a lesson. Like, I get that the It remake made you all of your, the money you're going to make this summer, so you're not really well prepared to hear this, but we have milked the remake well down to the last drop. Yeah. It's time to press on. And I know you think you're out of stories. Just read history books. There are so many good stories in history. I'm going to say this, though. I don't think that it was a remake. It's just a reimagining because there's so much material that needed to be mined and it could be mined out of that book that wasn't mined in the in the miniseries. That's true. So I think that, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily classify that as a remake. I think it's a an extended version or... A, fresh a, take. Yeah, fresh take. Re- reimagining, I think, is the best way to put it. This was a movie in that was in 1990 and had a who's who of people in it, right? So, uh, let's see, Kiefer Sutherland... Uh, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon, one of the Baldwin brothers, Oliver Platt. Like, those are the five leads in this movie. And it was by Joel Schumacher. And it was already campy, and it was already weird and out there, even for, like, a 1990s movie. Why would you think it was a good idea to to reboot this? Or to make it a sequel? Or make it a, or a, re- make it a remake? I don't know. I know Keith Sutherland is in this movie, but apparently, uh, Wahlberg. What? No. Spoiler alert. Just in case anybody wants to go watch this piece of garbage. Apparently he's a different character. Or he is he's named a different character, and then you find out later on that he is the same character from the first one. I'm not sure. I haven't done my due diligence enough, and I don't care enough to do it. But there's just... I don't know, man. Who was dying for this to be remade? Exactly. That's the biggest thing. It, it boggles my mind that, that you know, but but I guess it's one of those things that we talked about on, on uh, the episode with, um, golly, I guess this past episode with Gerald's Game. Available now in the Saw Something Scary archives. Where we talked about the fact that, you know, there's always going to be crappy horror movies that come out. And this is one of them. Yeah. And, you know, the quicker it kind of speeds on into irrelevance and forgottenness, uh, the better. Yeah. I'll just tell you, I have I have similar concerns about Blade Runner this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could completely miss the boat, but I know one person out of all the people in my life who like love going to the movie theaters, I know one person who's excited to go see that movie, and he can't find anybody to go with him. And so we may we may have yet to see the end of like, you know how we've had terrible hurricane after terrible hurricane. We may be seeing a few more of these like terrible opening weekends for remakes or or, you know, re- requels or whatever you want to call them. And, yeah. Uh, I really think the sooner that we can get it done with, so the the studios kind of ha- are forced to make better choices on their source material, the better we're all going to be. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Uh, hey, let me throw one at you. Um, I found this tonight. Uh, so before the mask, the return of Leslie Vernon, uh, posted this on Facebook. Said Halloween plans? Why don't you caption a tenth anniversary screening of Behind the Mask via theatrical on demand? Request a cinema using the link below. There'll be fun stuff for the movie captains request the screening and find out behind the mask is coming soon or excuse me i guess it's behind the mask might be before the mask i don't know it's coming soon to most streaming services and here's what the new poster is going to look like so it is behind the mask i'm sorry also check the back page of your comic uh and so it's a it's a 10 year anniversary featuring uh director's audio commentary and uh, that's going to be available on streaming services but if you want to if you want a captain bringing behind the mask to a theater near you and your theater's run with this theatrical on-demand system. There's a link. Uh, we've posted it on our Facebook page, so you can check it out. Uh, they actually do it for Cookville. I thought about doing it for Cookville, but uh, I'm not you sure. You would be the man to do that. I mean, you, we both really like that movie. Yeah. Every episode reviewing it is available now in the Sauce on the Scary Archives. That's what I was waiting on. You should be the one to do it, though, because you love it even more than like my general enthusiasm for the film. Yeah, I, I, it's one of my favorites. Uh, but I looked into it, and there's like a certain number of people you have to hit and things like that. I don't know if we have enough Mason Ver- uh, Leslie Vernon fans. I always get those two confused, man. Mason Berger and Leslie Vernon. Cheers. Signs of the Lambs love bleeding over. Oh, no. Um, I don't know if we have enough behind the mask fans around here to to do that with. But anyway, if you know of certain people that want to do that, or if you want to hop in with us and try to request it in Cookville, Tennessee, let us know. Yeah, sounds great. All right, man. So are we done with the Horror Reporter? I believe we are. Thank you, Horror Reporter, and good night. This has been this week's so it's time to pull the curtain Let's on. Let's do it, my man. On the strangers. strangers. So what year are we looking at here? 2008. 
You told me that this came out at the same time Ledger's performance as the Joker in uh, The Dark Knight came out. Yes, sir. And that absolutely floored me. So this movie was was made in 2006. It premiered in 2007 in film festivals, but it got a wide re- widescreen release in 2008. And it went through a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say production hell or developmental hell, but it was slated to be at the end of 2007, and then it was pulled back until 2008. I believe in May of 2008 is when it debuted, when it came out. Okay, so they had some confidence in it then to release it in May. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it came, I believe it came out in May of 2008. I didn't get around to seeing it until it actually wound up at the cheap theater in Chattanooga that does like a second run on uh, on theatrical releases, and that was around August of 2008. The Dark Knight came out in July. So, I mean, you're looking at that, you know, it was a great month for movie fans. It was a very good month. I remember seeing both in the theater, but they seemed like worlds apart for some reason. And you know what came out two months before The Dark Knight? Iron Man. My gosh. Time flies when you're having fun, my yes, sir. And also, hashtag, I'm getting old. Uh, this movie's wonderful on a rewatch. Um, I, I was surprised to find out that Brian Bertino had done a couple of the movies that have hit my radar. I didn't know I was as familiar with his work as I am. There's a lot of hype among horror fans for his uh, movie called The Black Coat's Daughter from 2015. Um, we talked about that in passing on some, you know, far gone episode. Available in the archives. Yeah, whichever one it is, when you find it, you let us know. But we did talk about it. Um, I don't get the hype for that movie. People who are into horror movies love it. And I can tell you, it's beautiful. Uh, it's a super slow burner. There's a lot of character development, things that I'm usually really into, but I just didn't catch the scary in the way other people did. But he has a 2016 film called The Monster that I deeply love. It's a, it's a, it's a really hidden gem, in my opinion. In fact, I've, I've thought often about pitching it as one of the movies that we cover for this podcast. Uh, pretty small project. It's basically four or five actors for the whole movie. Uh, I'm usually not the biggest fan of monster horror, you know, but I really like this one. And if you have Amazon Prime Video, it's available for no additional cost. And so I totally recommend the next time you're looking for something to stream, go check out his 2016 monster. I was looking through his filmography. I also saw that he'd produced a film called Stephanie that showed up at the Overlook Film Festival in April. It, reading the Wikipedia synopsis, sounds a lot like Muschietti's Mama. Okay. Like feral children have been protected by some supernatural force. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm willing to watch it. You know, he's done enough that I think, okay, you get, you know, another crack at it. But it did sound very derivative. He also produced a, a movie called He's Out There. Okay. That sounded like a single mom living through the events of The Strangers. Really? Yeah. Rinse and repeat. Um, but I would watch that there, too. If it ain't broke. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, hey, Brian Bertino. Good job, man. I don't know that he's the most well-known director out there, but yeah. he's put out some quality stuff that people really respond to. Yeah. You know, when we started, when we agreed to, to do this movie, this week and we started doing some research on this I had no idea who Brian Bertino was yeah so yeah he's definitely under the radar but I mean seems like he puts out quality stuff even even if it's it's quality over quantity right yes for sure I read that you know there's a sequel queued up that's been kind of in developmental purgatory mm-hmm. um, for this this film the strangers uh, he I guess left the directorial job on that project and that's kind of a shame I, I hope he's still involved creatively because what he put out in the strangers not only was a great movie in the time when I watched it in the theater but has held up all these many years later I mean we're pushing a decade at this yeah. point crazy as that sounds and I we didn't watch it in like the most ideal circumstances um, we you know we weren't in a theater again but uh, man I was still riveted I just felt like I was living the events with the characters so crazy. yeah you know we, we praised last week Flanagan for that feeling of you were inside uh, Jesse's head right you feel that same vibe here not necessarily in their heads because I mean this is more of a visceral thing but you you're in that room with them you feel like you can almost reach out and touch them and be like hey uh, girl Liv Tyler's character I forget her name Kristen maybe I think um, you know watch out for burlap sack man behind you or watch out for China doll or pinup girl you know like you're there so definitely man I uh, I hope that he was involved creatively with this I know that we talked about what Christina Hedricks is in mm-hmm. the is in the sequel it's already been filmed 
filmed. Uh, I guess they're now they're waiting for a release date on it. Uh, but knowing that Bertino is not behind the director's chair or in the director's chair on this does kind of weigh my, you know, my interest in it, even though this is my favorite. Obviously, we always know sequels most of the time aren't as good as the original product, right? Because the, the newness is worn off. There's no shock left. So Well, and so often sequels are motivated not to continue telling a good story or to tell another compelling story. It's just to cash in on right. the aftershocks from the first one. Right. Um, I thought Halloween 2 was pretty pretty solid. Um I'm trying to think of other sequels that I've really resonated with. There's not a lot of them out there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I will go watch the next one because you've kind of reignited my affections. Sure, I'll be there. But um, it, it is disconcerting that yeah. he may not be the crafting the, the project the way he did with this one. Hey, you just made a point that um, I've got other stuff I want to talk to, but I don't want to miss it before it goes past. Uh, you made a great point about the experience of watching this movie. This is not the first invasion movie I've seen. This is not the the first movie I've seen where the, the horror is built around innocent people being set upon by vicious people. But this is one of the movies where I did not sit back from a point of like cynical uh, evaluation and kind of critique and criticize the choices they're making and how this would never happen and people would never act that way. I, I can't put my finger on how Bertino pulled it off, but it does kind of reach out and grab you by the shirt and pull you right in to stand beside the characters who are experiencing these events. Again, I can't put my finger on why, but it, that was my experience nine years ago and it's my experience again now. And that really sets this movie apart, even though we've got things like The Purge, um, even some of the like Saw and Hostel movies mm-hmm. that we hate anyway, but people responded to on some level. It just sets this, this movie is set apart from all them by the ability to pull you into it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that was half of the thing for me. Um, you know, you and I talked about it off off air. These are the movies that scare me. Right. These are the movies that, that genuinely terrify me. We watched, uh, you know, we're part of the Scarathon. We talked about that on last week's episode. And uh, more to come on that subject later. Absolutely. And full disclosure, we're recording this on October the 4th. And so last night uh, we watched a movie called The Hallow. And uh, that had some jump scares in it. But as you and I said, hopefully to God, there's not going to be any uh, tree demons that pop out and try to attack us or our, our children. Right. This could legitimately happened. This has happened in history. Exactly. And, you know, and and you and I are both from a, a rural area, and, you know, I mean, that's exactly where this, this happens, is in a secluded rural area, and it just, it, it was terrifying to me in the theater watching it. Uh, I had a very hilarious experience because it was a packed out theater, and people were yelling at the screen. Uh, you know, it was a fun experience, but at the same time, man, you go home, and you're checking your rearview mirror to make sure there's nobody in the back seat or you've got every light in the house on just to make sure that you know stuff like that I mean for like two or three weeks and this honest to God truth for two or three weeks I would walk by my front door and my front door was like pane glass and I would see my reflection in it sometimes and just kind of you know yeah like tense up like all right here we go uh so yeah man that's why it 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 drew me in but then also as you said it has that has that way of, of bringing you into the uh into the house itself and it's it's a wonderful thing that you don't I don't think you get that from the purge no you know and and of course that's that's kind of a uh, an elevated tale anyway right I mean we hope to God that nothing like that ever happens in our country uh, but th- I mean this just feels this feels real as opposed to Freddy's and Jason's and and Michael Myers and things like that this feels like it could happen. Yeah, so uh, so much of what you just said there kind of got my thinking stirred. Um, one of the elements that I think sets this apart that helps pull you in that way is that you get so much time with the characters before the craziness ever goes down. Yeah, uh, I could believe that I was watching a movie that is sort of in the Woody Allen vein about a marriage proposal gone wrong, the consequences and repercussions of her choosing to say no in that moment? Is there a relationship to be had coming out of this between these two people? Like There is a world available to you there that you would kind of be willing to watch a movie about anyway. Yeah. And you, I think it's particularly Liv Tyler. Although Scott Speedman does really well here and his career was as strong as it has ever been during the time he was making this. Um, you get a chance to care about these people and buy them as human beings. Uh, that's, that's a really great decision on their part and I think it really pays 
days off that they spent the time developing the characters early on. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we said that, you know, in recent weeks where we're like, you don't have a reason to root for these guys or, yeah. or these characters aren't fully developed or they're not fully fleshed out and I wish that there was more that we could see with them. Well, you get that for the most part on this, right? You get a couple who seemingly are in love, who seemingly have been together for a long time and want, you know, and Scott Speedman's character wants to take the relationship to the next level. Liv Tyler obviously loves this man, but is having cold feet on that kind of commitment. And uh, yeah, so I completely agree with that. You know, these are characters that you you want to see win. Mm-hmm. You want to see survive. And and it makes it that much harder when you see um, when you see him go out into the woods and try to kill Pinup Girl with a shotgun, or shoot Pinup Girl with a shotgun gun and burlap sack man comes in and i don't know knees him in the face or wax you know, him or whatever yeah he does. i mean you from from that moment until he reappears in the movie you think oh homeboy's homeboy's dead and Liv tyler's on her own now yeah and it also sets up basically the best possible approach to the one real weakness in the storytelling this movie that we'll get to later um if anything's going to make that moment that i'm going to spend a little time criticizing here in a minute credible it's uh it's that you believe these are real human beings who have deep feelings about not only each other, but other people they care about Mm -hmm. in this world that you've created. Um, Can I ask you a question that's sort of off to the left of this, but I think gets at how you experience this movie? So, like you mentioned earlier, we're both from a small town. I live in the most rural possible version of that small town. Like, few people live in the country the way I live in the country. You live more in the city, in this small city, but it's still sort of a secluded niche within a city. Uh, I've lived in Knoxville. You've lived in Chattanooga. Those are not New York City or Los Angeles by any stretch of the imagination, but they are more urban contexts. So, do you do you feel safer in this hidden little niche of a small town when you turn your lights off at night? Or did you feel safer living among, you know, people? People in streetlights in a, in a bigger city. I felt safer in Chattanooga. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I asked because my wife grew up on military bases, and I get it. Like, you're never safer going to bed sure. than uh, that, you know, property that's controlled by the military and has posted guards at every, end, at every end. But she felt safer when we lived in a city. I felt like psychopaths were crossing my path all day long. Yeah. I feel it's not much more safer. I feel infinitely more safer out on my little plot of nowhere uh, out there. And and part of that is I know everyone who drives down my road, or I know that that's a weird car to see driving down my road, right? I have like an early warning system. Sure. Um, But I I do think some of this is uh, just sort of what you were weaned on, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're an urban kid, you probably feel more safe in an urban environment. If you're like me, country is kudzu, you're going to feel more safe out in the country. Uh, But that is also why this movie rattles me. I feel safe in the country. And it's probably part of like, you know, white privilege of like, I don't live in high crime areas. I've never known of a home invasion on my street. And, you know, I hope to the Lord that I never will. And the odds for me are if I ever do, it's going to be somebody looking for meth or pills. Sure. It's not going to be a random act of violence for violence sake. And I know that there are people who listen to this podcast and who watch this movie who that is part of what their neighbors have lived through. Yeah. It's just not been the case for me. And so to see that safe sanctuary of country isolation invaded the way it has been done in history, you know, it's not like this is unrealistic. I think that's part of why this movie still kind of shakes my cage. Yeah, sure. No, I can understand that. Uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk that this kind of it kind of debunks that root or that myth, right? Of of uh, trying to think of the way that they pastoral living, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of the Thomas Kincaid view of sure, yeah, absolutely, life, yeah. Uh, and I can I can see that. I sure. can completely see that. We, we mentioned it before. This is kind of hopping backwards, but I think we ought to cover it. What happened to Scott Speedman's career? That's a great question. Man, I wish you know that's the first thing I said when he popped up on the yeah. screen, right? I was like, Scott Speedman, what in the world happened to him? Because he was right in that sweet spot of underworld that was going on, and I, you know, I think he's popped up in a few other things looking at his IMDb page. But I remember at one point in the early odds where people are like, This kid's gonna be Tom Cruise, he's gonna be, you know, uh, hey, watching him tonight, I could totally believe that he would have been the next Matthew McConaughey, absolutely. Um, you know, like if I were gonna put polls on his potential. I would have said Scott Kahn on this side, Matthew McConaughey on the other, and he's really skewed more towards like below Scott Kahn. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's a strange development. Yeah, particularly having 
Underworld as a franchise under his belt. Yeah, he's a guy that you could have definitely seen be a lead in a romantic comedy, but at the same time, he could have also taken an action franchise. For sure. So it's, it's yeah, it's it's crazy to me. You know, we talked about last week uh, Carly Cugino, mm-hmm. right? And why is she a bigger star? And I just made the crack of, well, because she doesn't have a good enough agent. I mean, it could Maybe be the same thing it. here. You know, I don't know. The weirdest thing, I looked up his IMDb page, and it's like a low-pixel version of a screenshot from a film of his. Yeah. Just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. Like, um, I wouldn't use that for my Twitter profile picture. Yeah, you do wonder how much of it comes down to the nuts and bolts of that. Yeah. And, of course, you mentioned Carla Gugino. I think Liv Tyler is what we just said about Scott Speedman to a, you know, a even greater degree. Um, she is in the Robin Wright Memorial. She should have been a bigger star career achievement award yeah. class. Um, I mean, we kind of beat that drum. We did it with Carla. We've done it with Robin Wright before. Uh, I've heard, I say I've heard, I've seen pieces where Liv Tyler kind of bemoans that her career didn't go in a particular way and she does think it's because of age that she's reached a point where people don't want to cast her at that particular age. Um, Liz has a classic style of beauty, right? That's why she got cast in Lord of the Rings. Right. So I don't understand why she can't do the stuff that like Jennifer Lopez did. Now Jennifer Lopez didn't, she wasn't hanging Oscars on the wall, but she kept working. There was always a project that Jennifer Lopez was involved in and I really don't get why Liv Tyler uh, hasn't had that and I'm betting we will see a Liv Tyler renaissance at some point in the next hand full of years, they're going to rediscover her and she's going to become sort of a uh, second, third act star. I'm yeah. just, I'd be willing to buy stock in that proposition. I, I truly hope so, man. She deserves it, you know? Yeah. I mean, she's obviously the star, I mean, excuse me, she's obviously the daughter of a rock star. Right. She had a leg up getting in, but she can act. She's a beautiful, lovely woman and um, seems willing to, to take on roles that push her. You know, she didn't just go for like staying in Daddy's Aerosmith videos with right. Alicia, what's her name. Um, I just want better things for her. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, the, the top five movies I think of with Liv Tyler, That Thing You Do, mm-hmm. Armageddon, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, this movie. Um, uh, what was the other one? Dang it. Maybe that was it. Well, look, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. Maybe we're looking at it and going, she should have done more. When I mean, what you just named off is an incredible resume. Yeah. You, I mean, you got to get to like... Julia Roberts and, and and above, so like Meryl Streep. Yeah. Before you start finding someone who can like point to those kind of films on their resume and say I was involved in all of them, it, it's still different for me though. With Scott Speedman, I go, huh? What went wrong? And it's a curiosity. With Liv Tyler, I say it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. Like there should be more here. Yeah. Uh, it's just a weird development, and I, I really do hope we get a uh, we get a renaissance out of her. Yeah. I, you know, you look at the way Hollywood's going now, where you know, forties the new thirty and blah, 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 blah. There's there's a place for her somewhere. Well, we talked earlier uh, about um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, mm-hmm. and Nicole Kidman's in that. Yeah. Nicole Kidman is a better example of what I said about Jennifer Lopez. Nicole Kidman has not only continued working year after year, it seems like, but she lands projects that people pay attention to, people care about, people uh, projects that, that garner awards even from her peers and whatnot. So give me a Liv Tyler run like, Nicole Kidman world, and I'll be happy. You can just put all my, you know, complaining away. So she was in a movie called Super with Rain Wilson that was directed by James Gunn. Have you ever seen that? Not at all. You need to. Really? It's a really good movie. Super in like superhero or super of like this guy runs the building. No, he he's a superhero to an extent. Uh, Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson. Huh. Okay. It's I don't want to give it away, but it's it's a really interesting movie. Okay. Uh, it also has Ellen Page in it. Huh. Uh, this isn't like a kick a knockoff. No. Huh. Okay. No. Okay. Um, th- there's a lot more gravitas to this movie. Okay. Um, essentially, just long story short, Rain uh, Rain Wilson is married to Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler has uh, become addicted to drugs and has moved in with her drug dealer, who's played by Kevin Bacon. And Rain Wilson adopts this superhero personality because he's tired of seeing low lives, the scum treat good people, you know, in a bad way, and basically starts killing people with a wrench. And it's just it's an interesting movie, but it's it's really really good. It's kind it of kind of sounds like Kike. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess it is, but it's it's more of like a dramedy. It has a lot more heart to it. Um, I didn't walk out of it going like okay, you know, like I walked out of it going I want to I'll I'll buy that, and I did. Yeah, okay. So well, then I will check it out. Um, the the thing that Liv has been on since 2014 is she's been a part of HBO's television series The Leftovers. I'm not even aware of that. So, uh, so here you go. Three, 
years after the disappearance of 2% of the global population, a group of people from New York struggle to continue their lives while they cope with the tragedy of the unexplained nature of the event. That's on HBO, and uh, and that's all I'm going to tell you about it. Okay. Because you, you definitely won't want to watch it if I tell you anything else. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad she's still working. Yeah. I'm glad she's doing more than I was aware of. But again, she should have been doing stuff I was aware of. Right. I'm not a guy who's checked out on what's happening in cinematic entertainment, television entertainment. Like, she should be landing stuff that garners a little, hey, here I am. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, what was the last high-profile thing you remember her being in? Last high-profile? I mean, are we talking like uh, Armageddon high-profile or Strangers high-profile? I'm talking, I mean, in that in that same year of The Strangers. Well, I mean, The Lord of the Rings is about the highest-profile thing you can be involved in in her lifetime, right? I mean, that thing made all the money. Was she in The Hobbit? I, I never watched No, she it. wasn't in The Hobbit. Okay. So the last high-profile thing that I remember living. Tyler being in was the Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton. With Ed Norton, completely even forgotten about that. Exactly, not, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Do you think that maybe? People people looked at that. Studio heads looked at that as, okay, well, this was Liv Tyler's big chance to be the female star of a franchise, and that movie did not do well. It was a decent enough movie, but it didn't do well. And they were like, oh, okay, next. Hey, Scarlett Johansson, you're younger. Hey, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, you're younger. Hey, you know. Yeah, but I would have never I would have never expected her to be the like Scarlett Johansson in The Avengers or um, what was the movie where she played the person who got the smart pills and uh, became like... That's Bradley Cooper. No, there was a Scarlett Johansson yeah, version too. Playing, I forget the name of it. Though. Yeah, I would have never really penciled Liv in for that. I would have penciled her in for more of a Nicole Kidman kind of run. Okay. More character stuff. Yeah. And if they think she was the problem with that Norton project, they're sadly deluded. They're they're, they're kind of doing the same thing that the movie studio um, did when they concluded that Friday the 13th meant that, you know, the way it failed meant that horror was dead. I buy Ed Norton's narrative on that Hulk movie that he pushed really hard for a different creative direction and they just cast it aside and went with what they did. Yeah. And, uh, Liv's not the problem with that film. Liv would have been great in Birdman. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of role that's where she needs to that be. she should be doing. Yeah. Like, physicality, I'm not saying is like out of her wheelhouse, but you don't primarily want her doing physicality stuff. Sure, yeah. You want her looking pensive and selling awkwardness and a lot of the stuff she does here in the movie. In fact, the one time she's weak in this movie is when she takes off running into the woods. She looks like a woman who's never ran before. Yeah, um, and yeah. then immediately twists her ankle. So yeah, probably well, I guess some, yeah, probably believable. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she she shouldn't have been dressed up in black leather shooting guns at people. Sure. But she could be, uh, you know, a role for her would be something like Oracle in Batman. Yeah. Where she's a love interest from days gone by, but she's also super important to what's going on in the environment. Something like that. And she doesn't have to run in that. She's in a wheelchair. Yes. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm frustrated. <laughs> yeah. I'm I can, frustrated. I can tell. Maybe watch The Leftovers. You Maybe. Have, you have HBO Go? I mean, it's, it's tragic that this girl that I'm saying, this young lady, this woman that I'm saying needed more uh, material to work with, and she's in a project literally named The Leftovers. Yeah. Uh, that There's maybe more going on there than just the premise of the show. Uh, to, to bring this back closer, though, to the plot... Uh, you know what really sells that entire movie to me? And then I think it would be a diminished product if it weren't included. What's that? It's the second to last scene we have in the entire film where uh, they encounter these two like bike missionary kids. Mm-hmm. Look like they've been pumped up by their youth minister to go out and deliver some tracts. And uh, they're pushing their bikes up the road. That old Ford truck with just the backs of the heads of the people we've watched do some of the most horrible stuff in the world. And the truck stops. And the kids stop. And you can cut the tension oh, yeah. with a knife. And uh, the blonde who'd been in the middle of the truck spills out. The brunette's waiting beside the truck. And it's killer dialogue. Um, I had you rewind it just so I wouldn't miss it. She, the, the blonde, uh, villain looks at the kids and the tracks they're handing out. Jesus saves or something printed on the cover. Christianity living, I believe is what it says. Something like that. And she says, can I have one of those? And the boy uh, says, are you a sinner? And, you know, it's really good acting from the other boy who kind of looks over him and, and is like, do you really want to stretch yeah. this out? You don't want this can of worms. Yeah. yeah. Give her the freaking tract and let's pedal. Yeah. 
and there's a beat and the blonde responds sometimes and they take the tract and they get in the truck and they drive down the road. Now you hear another bit of dialogue. Next time it'll be easier. Yeah. But even without that last next time it'll be easier. That last encounter tells you that every bit of what you just saw is as random as you first were suspicious of. Mm -hmm. And that in some ways, these people are, they're not just incredibly violent and dangerous, but they're random to the point of being cynical about how they choose to dole out this devastation. Yeah. They're almost hipster about it. You know, like, it'll be ironic if we go do this at this house, and then we run into some little boys, and we take a trap. Sure. You know? Um, That movie would have been fine. I would have enjoyed it without that scene, but I feel like that last scene really kind of sinks the weight into my chest as I think about the the way this represents very real danger that looks like the kind of stuff we see happen in, in real life. Yeah, it's almost like a tornado. Why did it land right there and yeah. destroy that house? And it skipped, you know, the house sitting right next to it. Yeah, but then landed, you know, two houses over and destroyed another one. And to your point on that, the thing that terrifies me the most about it is is that you never see their faces. Mm-hmm. I mean. They're just they're, the people you're in this movie with do right, but we never get to. yeah we never get the chance to. There's no chance to humanize these people, right? They're burlap sack man, uh, the pinup, and uh, china doll. Mm-hmm. Those those are those are the things that we see in this movie. And, and so when they do take those masks off and they do face them right before they brutalize them, you know, Speedman gets to see them, and 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 Liv Tyler gets to see them, but we're still on the outside looking in on that, and it's just. You know, it's one of those things where you you gave a great analogy of like the tornado. They're the force of nature that comes through and literally destroys these people's lives. There's but no may leave the neighbors completely yeah. un- unmolested. Well, and the, yeah, that gets added. I mean, this is what this movie's about. But the fact that they have no faces to us means they can have every face in the crowd around us. Exactly. Um, I do think too, on a like a secondary note, that act of pulling the mask off. I didn't remember it from this movie. You know that hits with such power in Flanagan's Hush Mm -hmm. when she tells the guy, I've not seen your face. You can leave right now and the cops will never be able to ask me who it was. And he pulls the mask off and you get that he's deeply committed to tormenting her to the fullest degree possible. Well, that's the same thing there. They want the torment to be as personal and as intense as possible. They want you to look not just in their eyes, but at their faces when they bury the knife. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty deeply horrifying. Yeah. And I mean, and the, the best part of dialogue in the whole movie, right? They're tied up They're You know, we, we don't know what's about to happen. These, these guys, they're taking off these masks and stuff, but they could just walk out the door. Mm-hmm. It's daylight. Who knows what's about to happen? Well, there's even a scene where the three of them are standing over Speedman and Ty who are tied to chairs and uh, the brunette which one is she what like, uh, chi- uh, pinup pinup girl turns and walks across the other two perpetrators and you think are they just gonna roll out now yeah. they've had their fun and they're out yeah uh, you're right it, it could go either way right and it's at that point where Liv Tyler goes why why us and China China doll says you were home. It just and it it it's made like my, it ices your blood. Exactly, that's exactly what I was about to say. It made my blood turn cold yeah. the first time I saw it. Even today, I haven't seen this movie in probably six or seven years, and I was just, I it was, I mean, it was just right there again, you know. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't be surprised by that. So we were looking into this, and we found out that basically Bertino, as a child, remembered his sister, young sister, going to the door, greeting someone who asked for uh, the name of someone who did not live in that house. Parents were gone. So yeah, it was parents just were the kids. Gone, just the kids. Um, the name that was at requested didn't live there. The stranger went their merry way. They find out later there'd been a series of home invasions. You know, we had a situation not too long ago where um, our nanny greeted someone who showed up to say uh, one of the vehicles that we own is that vehicle for sale. Not super common, but also not completely uncommon. In fact, I've done a version of that with people like in public places. Um, my first car was a Celica GTS, and every time I see one that looks like it, I go to the guy and go, would you be willing to sell that? If you are, just keep me in mind. So that happened. No big deal. Freaked her out a little. No big deal. Three days later, the guy shows back up, and he's asking if he can come in to charge his cell phone, and he's acting like he doesn't remember he was there before, and he's wanting directions. And, like, I do live way out in the middle of nowhere, but, like... <laughs> 
less than a mile away is a country store on a much bigger road. Um, if you were going to ask for directions anywhere in my zip code, that's the place you're going to go to get directions. And to charge your cell phone. Yeah, it was just super weird, right? Yeah. So, like, this is this is close enough to my live reality that I can see where it goes in a sinister direction. And, I, you know, it, I guess maybe because I've seen movies, I made choices with my professional life that, that put me in a place where my nanny's not going to be in that position again. Homeboy shows up with a uh, busted up cell phone anymore. He's not going to be talking to my nanny. He's going to be dealing with me and, uh, you know, not to play Billy Bad Boy, but it's just going to be a different conversation. Um, that's the realism that's baked in to the premise of this movie mm-hmm. that leaves you so unsettled. Uh, and I looked into the inspirations that went beyond Bertino's own experience. Obviously, you think of the Tate LaBianca murders by the Manson family in 1969. I, you know, Bertino said in an interview that he was captivated by the thought of what's it like to experience this as a victim? Because we come back along and we go, oh, the Manson family. Oh, they're trying to launch this race war, helter-skelter thing that Manson had been predicting. <sighs> Sharon Tate never got to know that. Sharon Tate lived out, I'm pregnant, excited to have my first child, and into a, you know, by all accounts, a, a pretty wonderful life. And the serenity that we think wealth even affords you. Devastating violence in the end of her life. Uh, out of nowhere. She never got to know the the full story. She never got to see the trial and the cuckoo, cuckoos with like their swastikas carved in their heads and thought about mental illness. She just lived out what the strangers experienced and that was it. He I, Obviously, I've never lived that either, but I feel like he's got to have captured it because you feel so, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, you just feel invaded. Yeah. Helpless. Absolutely helpless. For anyone who's interested, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, you like podcasts. If anybody's interested in listening to a really great set of podcasts on the uh, Manson family, including the... Tate LaBianca murders, uh, a show called You Must Remember This in 2015 did a 12 part series on the Manson family. And man, it's awesome. Hmm. I was waiting for the next episode uh, with bated breath. Yeah. I loved every bit of wow. it. So if you're into that stuff, uh, go check that out. Um, let me just disturb you a little bit further, Derek Zoo. So I've told you before on this podcast, I'm a true crime fan. And as I was looking into inspirations for this movie, I came across something I've never heard of before called the Keddie murders. Okay. And if anybody listened to this is familiar, I'm I won't be surprised if everybody listening to this is familiar. I just completely missed it. But it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever read. Okay. So I'm going to read you the Wikipedia synopsis for the Keddy murders. Okay? All right. Let's let your imagination run here. Oh, good. The Keddy murders is an unsolved 1981 American quadruple homicide that occurred in Keddy, California. The murders took place in Cabin 28 during the late evening of April 11th, 1981, or early the following morning. The victims were Glenna Sue Sharp, known as Sue, age 36, her son John, age 15, and his friend Dana Wingate, age 17. And some time after the crime was discovered, Sue's daughter Tina, age 12, was reported missing. Mm. Her skull and several other bones were recovered in 1984 in Camp 18, California, which is in Butte County. Here's the murders. Glenna Sue Sharp, 36, and her five children had been renting the cabin since November 1980. At approximately 7.45 a.m. on the morning of April 12, Sheila Sharp, upon returning from the sleepover next door, discovered the tied-up bodies of Sue, John, and Dana in the home's living room. Oh, my goodness. Plumas County Sheriff's deputies later determined Tina Sharp was missing from the location. The murders have been commented upon for their particular viciousness. After approximately 4,000 man-hours spent on the case, it grew cold. But in 1984, so like three years later, the cranium portion of a skull was recovered near Feather Falls in neighboring Butte County, a distance of roughly 63 miles from Keddy. Butte County Sheriff's Office released both the original and backup copy of the auto recording of the anonymous call to an undisclosed member of law enforcement that led to the discovery. As of May 2017, no arrests have been made in connection with the Kitty murders, although two suspects with criminal records, uh, but who have now died, have been proposed. And they've already, in 2004, they demolished the side of the crimes. In 2016, so think about that, a hammer matching the description of a hammer suspect, Martin Smart, said he lost shortly before the murders, was taken into evidence by, evidence by Plumas County Special Investigator Mike Gamberg. The sheriff, Sheriff Hagwood, stated, the location where it was found, it would have had to been put intentionally there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. Wow. I mean, that sounds like what we just watched. Yeah. Except you mixed in kids. Right. 
And that makes it all the more worse. Mm -hmm. Like we can kind of come, we we can turn off the movie and go fiction. Right. But we can point regularly and steadily throughout history of people who couldn't hit stop where the play kept going. And uh, we've said it again. People have said it long before us, but that's really what makes this movie just devastating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. That's, you know, again, we watch all sorts of horror movies. Uh, You know, you and I currently are in a 31 days of horror right now where we're going to see a plethora of things. Uh, There's nothing that terrifies me more than this. Yeah. So well, you made the point earlier that, I mean, we live in a world where the events of last week played out. Right. And that's the world of the strangers. So that means it's the world we live in. Yeah. I mean, just to be clear, somebody's listening to this far in the future. We're recording this right after the Las Vegas shootings. So somebody really did take a bunch of guns up into a hotel and he really did point it at a crowd of people enjoying a concert. And he really did begin shooting until, you know, nearly 60 people were dead and hundreds were injured. It's it's not one iota to less random and terrifying than what we saw in The Strangers. Yeah. And uh, you're right. That it's, it's a special kind of terror. Man, that's bleak, brother. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to end the podcast. Well, we're not going to end yet because I told you I had some criticism. Oh, yeah. I want you to fight me on this. Okay. So the one dumb move... I'll put they, you through this table. All right. There we go. Table spot. Uh, the one dumb move they make, and I think they tried to like caveat it as much as possible... He has the shotgun. Mm -hmm. He is in the back corner of a room with only one entrance or exit. Any baghead or baby doll face person who can reach him has to step through that doorway and catch a shotgun blast upside the head. Right. Well, it's really pretty good storytelling. Basically, his brother. Uh, his best friend. Best friend shows up to check on him or follow through on some kind of similar. Okay, or, okay so what happened was, uh, you know, he brought her up there for the, uh, I guess, to celebrate their engagement. They had been at a wedding. Uh, obviously, things didn't go the way he planned, which we never even said. Like, Scott Speedman's character is just, he just gets the crap into the stick all the way around on this, right? Like, his, his lady turns it down for a proposal and then this happens and then he brother's dead at the end of the movie you know like Liv Tyler worst worst day ever yeah Liv Tyler's up in the air right but this guy's like the end of it you know he's there he's he's belly down on the floor his eyes are still open and you're just like yep glass eyed that's me bet you're wondering how I got here you know Uh, so anyway he calls his friend and he's like hey man uh, it's awkward come get me and he tells Liv Tyler's character he says look I'm gonna let you take the car I know we had this road trip planned I don't think that's a good idea right now so and so is gonna come get me so that's why homeboy's there to uh, to be you know to come get Scott Speedman's character and take him home. So the, the the only hope we have of a you know cavalry arriving arrives, and we pointed out he doesn't announce himself. He comes up to a, a house that looks like it's a war zone, and he yeah. just steps right through the threshold without saying, "Hey guys, Dan here, or whatever his name is." But he ends up walking down the hall, and just as soon as he crosses the threshold of that doorway. And says hello, his buddy blows his head off because he's expecting it to be one of the bad guys. Um, that's the weak point. One, that he wouldn't say, "Sure, hey, heads up, I'm here. Where are you guys at? Is everybody yeah. okay? Hello, it's I'm me. calling the cops. Yeah. But then once the guy is dead, they leave that fortified position. And the thing I told you there was... I name people, people I've been friends with my whole life, people who I consider brothers who like, I I legit think if there's anybody in the world outside of my children that I would take a bullet for, it's these guys. And and I remember watching this in the theater, talking to my wife afterwards, saying, if that were this person, would I be devastated? Absolutely. Would I be brokenhearted? Would it consume my thoughts? Absolutely. But I would have went right back over to where I was sitting and I would have cocked another, I would have loaded another shell into the uh, chamber of that shotgun and I would have aimed it right back at the door. Yeah. And I would have said, if... If uh, somebody crosses through here again, I'm going to take one beat longer to make sure it's not my mom coming to check on me or whatever it is. But I'm going to stay right there because that's the closest thing to a gun turret position you have. Yep. Um, so that's my criticism of the film, that, that basically on that one point, to move the plot along, they had to get him out of the one most rational choice he could make. Sure. Any pushback on that? No, not at all. I mean, I think... I think... <sighs> 
again, you know, you and I were talking about it before. There's a part where uh, she runs into the bedroom and she's trying to get through the she's trying to get through the window and the window won't open and she's she's trying to bang on stuff and we're like throw something through the flipping window and I go yeah it's easy to criticize that when you're on this side of it right so who knows what you would do in that position sensibly that's what you would do right you would see what's going on holy smokes I can't believe that this has happened but right now I got to take care of myself and I got to take care of her and you get back in that position but you know with adrenaline going and things like that but you're right all it is is just to to further the plot along and to get him outside so that he can get God. Well, and they set it up as well as you possibly could. That sure. like killing your best friend kind of rattles your brain enough. Of course. I just think the survival instinct strong enough that it would have put you back over there. Would you have been bawling looking at his body in the doorway? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But you would have been sitting there with a gun. Yeah. You know. I'd have been I'd have been back in a safe spot. Yeah. Well, I guess that's what I got on this one, man. You got anything else you want to say about the strangers? It just I just I love this movie. It's and, awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you and I were talking about it before. Uh, obviously, every week we do uh, as much research and stuff as possible on these movies. And notice that on IMDb, it's got like a six. And it was like, had like a 45% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're they're right on those things. You know, sometimes, sometimes IMDb gets it right or sometimes Rotten Tomatoes gets it right. They didn't on this one. No, for sure. I think this is a, is a much better movie than what people are giving it credit for. And uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, it terrifies me. I'll probably sleep with a nightlight tonight, but worth it. Yeah, it, it's a great one. Yeah. No, no argument at all. I'd, I'd love to kind of gig you and say there's some major flaw with it or it's not as good as Event Horizon, but this is a great movie that holds up. Yeah. And I'm glad I got to watch it again. It's been a while. Yeah. And, you know, this was one of those movies when we first started talking about doing this podcast, that was one of the movies where we're like, well, we got to do that one. Yeah. And so um, I'm glad that we were able to to finally chew the fat on it a little bit and, and uh, really kind of dive deep. Yeah, we kicked around the idea of recording alternate commentary on it for an audio track. I'd be willing to come back to that project at some point. Like, yeah. Once we figure out how to do it. It'd be a fun one to just talk through. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about bonus episodes, doing bonus episodes where we get to certain amounts of downloads and things of that nature. I think that's a great bonus episode. Yeah. You guys want that? Uh, let us know. You know, we can uh, we can tie that to like how many iTunes reviews we get. We're coming up on a threshold of downloads that I think is pretty exciting. We're, we're talking about doing something special for that. But yeah, if bonus content is something you're interested in. Uh, let us know. We would respond to our, our listeners on that. Well, Derek, let's put a bow on this one, man, and just say... Did we watch something scary? Yes, sir. We certainly saw something scary. Yeah. And like you, I think it's the kind of scary that kind of ripples out. Yeah. Uh, even just after we got done watching it, I was going into my office's restroom, and I had a moment of kind of like panic for a second because I knew that when we had went to get dinner, the main lights in uh, the room were on. I could see it through an exterior window. And when I stepped into the restroom this time, I realized those lights were off and the vanity lights above the sinks were on. And I thought, oh, my God. Uh, and I don't think I would have felt that way had I not just watched a home right. invasion movie. Right. I would have thought, well, oh, yeah, Derek went to the bathroom 10 minutes ago. And, I, you know, that's yeah. where it came from. But my first place was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, we saw something scary. This yeah, and, and, and this is another – I don't mean to cut you off. This, go right ahead. This is, a, this is another one of those movies like we talked about last week where it's not so much jump scares. I mean, there's some – there's, there's plenty some, of yeah, them. Yeah, there's some here. But uh, it's that just intensity like, uh, like last week with Gerald's Game, you know. That wasn't your uh, typical horror movie your typical scary movie but we still walked away seeing something scary and I feel the same way about this movie yeah I'm with you completely so if we're going to put it on a 10 point scale 8 man yeah I'm probably like 7 and a half um, but it's hard to argue with you I mean this is top tier yeah great stuff uh, if you hadn't seen this one guys you need to have. you need to be go getting ready to watch it yeah right away go out of your way yeah you need to find this and you know help other people uh, find out about it if they're not listening because like you said earlier the IMDB rating the Rotten Tomatoes ratings, those are objectively wrong. And uh, if you got people who don't like horror but are looking for something on Halloween to kind of get their blood pumping, boy howdy, this is great for just that. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're done here. We love you. Uh, the strangers, we're thankful for that, and we're looking forward even to the sequel. Not knowing whether or not the same creative vision will be able to pull off something similar to what we saw tonight, but just really excited to kind of take another <laughs> walk down that darkened lane. Another stab at it. Oh, okay. Hey, you mentioned earlier. There's a Halloween scarathon that our friend Jody put together that we're watching through. Yes, sir. Just rapid fire. Sure. So we're three films in at this point. Right. Um, just give me your thoughts real fast. One of them I already know you're wrong about. <laughs> 
Um, but the one I know that leads off, you're deeply right about. What were your thoughts on holidays? Uh, that was the biggest dumpster fire. Like, ba- Bye Bye Man Bad. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, and you and I didn't even finish it. No. I made it halfway through the second of four shorts that are in it. Yeah. No. So we, we got through one short, and then we got through the second one with the snakes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We got through the snakes, and then it went to uh, the Jesus Easter Bunny. Yeah. And that's where we both were like, no, this is this is horrible. We're good here. And, you know, man, I didn't realize it before I hit play, but Kevin Smith was involved in that. Right. I should have known. Husk, baby. Terrible. Like, almost makes you question that cinema exists as a thing bad. Um, but I rebounded very quickly. You did not. So the second movie was It Follows. Yeah, I look, I don't think, I say this a lot. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just, it just wasn't for me. Um, and, and I told you beforehand that I, I was brought into this movie with people being like, dude, it's the best scary movie I've ever seen. And so when you hear stuff like that and it's overhyped, it's never going to live up to it, right? Unless it's like it. It's just not going to live up to it. And so I walked into this movie thinking it was going to be on that level, on that it level, that get out level, that stranger level even. And it's not. Is it, is it a decent movie? Yes. Is it a decent scary movie? Sure. But it's always going to be tainted in my opinion because... I I had such high expectations for it. And even going back and trying to watch it again this time, there was a lot of time where I was on my phone. There was a lot of time where I was just like, yeah, okay, the soundtrack's wonderful. And I think that the actors give a great job to it. But I just, I don't know. Like, it could have been scarier. It could have been better. Well, I do love that movie. Um, I think it was sold to you wrongly. And I think part of that is this movie came along when horror was really stale. Yeah. And this was like a fresh take on the genre, and that got a lot of people excited. I really did enjoy watching it again, though. So you say it's not on a stranger level. I would put it just below, like a hair below. If The Strangers is 8, I would say 7.5. If it's 7.5, I'd say 7. I really enjoyed that movie, and I, I enjoyed watching it again. This is one of the ones that Christy was gracious enough, my wife, who hates or to watch with me. I asked her to do so because I think that movie asks some really interesting questions about sexuality. Sure. Casual sex. I mean, it... It, it asks serious questions about feminine sexuality. We're not going to get into all that, but like, I enjoyed it both as just a visceral. I'm scared. Yeah. Um, the scene where basically the the boy that's a neighbor who she transferred the curse to briefly, when the creature shows up to attack him and he's unaware. I thought that was really scary stuff. Um, so I liked it. But you said you were on your phone for part of it. I had that experience with the Hallow. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the Hallow? Uh, same thing. I, I it gets good. The second act of that movie is, is good, but you have to wade through the first act to get there. Yeah, and if you hadn't told me that, I would have been saying I turned this one off too, which is odd for me. I rarely ever turn a movie off anyway. But I first met that movie when it was being uh, advertised under the name The Woods, mm-hmm. and I couldn't make it through. It just didn't hold my attention. And then I started seeing it on these lists of like underrated, underappreciated horror movies, and I went back and watched it again. Same deal. I was just like, I. Don't don't get it. I'm not interested. Yeah. And you told me like, man, by you, there's a certain point if you get to that, I thought it picked up. And I watched it to that point. And uh, this movie is not going to be a, you know, a 6.8 for me on a 10 point scale. But it went from like, I just don't get it to, oh yeah, that was decent. Yeah. There was some legit scariness in there. Totally the kind of movie that I'm glad I watched in a Halloween run up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when I watched that movie for like the first 45 minutes of it, I was sitting there going, I'm this. I mean, I'm just over three on yeah. all these, right? And then it got it got decent, and I thought the ending, the payoff was was okay. Um, there's a there's a few jump scares and there's a few weird things in it, you know, and stuff. Uh, it it made it worth it. It's it's nothing you haven't seen before, uh, and it's not reinventing the wheel or groundbreaking. But you know, if you're if you're wanting to put a movie on and and have a couple scares, then that's the movie for you. Yeah, it'll work, and it's Irish. Yeah, everything I. Irish seems cooler. Absolutely. So if you're following along and you're not wanting to get on our subreddit and read the list of movies, uh, the next several days before you hear from us again, 
uh, Train to Busan, which um, I have been hearing a lot about. It's been on my Netflix list for a long time because I see it on a lot of lists of like horror movies that are must-see. It's basically a zombie movie. So if you're not tired of all these mother-freaking zombies on a train, turn on Train to Busan. Well done. Uh, Little Evil comes after that, which is very much a um, like pressure-release movie. It's horror comedy. Adam Scott, Evangeline Lilly, we've watched it. Um, no comment, but you know it, it's it's going to be lighter. Then you get to watch Hush mm. and uh, enjoy that. Yeah. And then go listen to our episode uh, reviewing it in the Saw Something Scary archives. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. Flanagan, Cult of Flanagan. Uh, you then get Curse of Chucky, The Canal, Last Shift. Did you see Last Shift? I haven't seen it, but looking at the... Uh, I didn't watch the trailer on it, but just looking at the box art that's on Netflix, I... No. Yeah. That movie legit scared me. Now, okay. um, you're right that it's actually objectively more horror. Uh, it's actually more scary that something could happen to you. Mm. But demonic stuff scares me. Sure. And so Last Shift really hit a lot of those buttons for me. Okay. I don't know if you'll experience the same way, but um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which was made by the, I think, the same people who did Little Evil. And it's sort of the go-to when you talk about horror comedy right. uh, That's that people like. Yeah. I've never seen it all the way through, so I'm looking forward to, to finishing it. So if you want to watch along, go right ahead. Just jump in here. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, if, if you don't have if you didn't write down all that and you don't want to skip back and write those down, you can find that list on the front page of the subreddit forward slash r forward slash saw something scary. Uh, it's under a thread called Scarathon. So there you go. So hop in with us, be a part of the Scarathon. It'll, right. be, it'll be a lot of fun. And if you are in the Scarathon, you want to talk to us, you can go to the aforementioned subreddit forward slash r forward slash saw something scary, or you can visit us at Scary Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, or you can email us at saw something scary at gmail.com. We also have a contact button on our homepage that some people have gotten in touch with us on. So thank you very much for those messages. And uh, we try to get back to you as soon as possible on that. Jeff Wright, where can they find you on social media? At Wright Jeff, most platforms. You can find me at Derek Zoo. Uh, and that's going to do it this week for uh, Saw Something Scary. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is, like I said, it's my favorite scary movie. So I had a lot of fun doing this episode and, and getting to chew the fat with you on this. Uh, enjoy your week and uh, hey while I'm doing plugs and stuff let me plug this Uh, if you're a comic book fan I know last week we talked about comic books uh, probably for longer than some of you wanted us to uh, but Jeff has another podcast called the Shazam cast so uh, go listen to the episodes on that if you're a Captain Marvel Black Adam Shazam Billy Batson uh, fan Captain Marvel Jr Captain Marvel S I know that's not her name but Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel. There it is. Yeah. Uh, Mary. <laughs> she's a vegetarian. Uh, every, good I- Mary Mo. every good idea that Superman has, they stole from Captain Marvel. Hot take. Other than Captain Marvel basically ripping off Superman. Yeah. Well, so there you go. After that, everything good about Superman came from Captain Marvel. See? Learning stuff already. So go to the Shazam cast. Listen to the archive episodes on that. Uh, Jeff promises he's going to get around recording a new one eventually. When we stop seeing something scary so regularly. Yeah, I was going to say, but we kind of have a lot more on our plate right now. And if you're a professional wrestling fan, Jeff and I do another podcast called The Mega Potters that drops every Friday and you can uh, you can visit us on that. And we talk about the wacky world of professional wrestling. Most of the time we try to be positive about it. Sometimes we get a little negative. We get a little frustrated <coughs> with this the, week. the business. But uh, make sure and go, go see us for that as well. So again, guys, thank you so much. Uh, we, appreciate, we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate the downloads. We appreciate the reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, like we, like Jeff said, lots of great ideas we got stored for you guys in bonus episodes if we hit certain things, and we can talk more about that at a later time. For Jeff Wright, I am Derek Zhu, reminding you to stay away from clowns in sewers, blind men with turkey basters, and white people with teacups. Bye-bye, man. <laughs> <laughs>